world where people strive to conquer the digital landscape, the best leaders are moving forward and planting flags. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers Podcast, where you can hear about the thrill of digital victory and the industry's best guidance on how to win with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the first ever live studio audience recording for the Oil & Gas Digital Doers Podcast. We have done... We have done this before in a live setting, like we're doing today, and uh, but not with this show. So it's the first time for this show. Um, and we are here in a spectacular uh, drilling simulation facility on the west side of Houston. Um, and so many thanks to uh, the very good people here at Endeavor Technologies for having us come over to your clubhouse. Also, Big thank you, as always, to our friends at HPE, who are not only sponsoring this event that we are having right now, but they are also uh, the sponsor of the Oil & Gas Digital Doers, <laughs> Digital Doers Podcast. It's almost like I don't say that enough times. They're also the sponsor of the Digital Doers Podcast, brought to you right here on the Oil & Gas Global Network, which is the largest and most listened to podcast network for oil and energy. Did I thank everybody? Oh, and we do have, uh, so for those of you uh, regular listeners at home, faithful listeners who always hear me talk about this guy, we do have Mr. Mac Roman in the house tonight working the, uh, working the board and taking care of the sound and queuing up the music. Uh, he's usually the guy that puts, the, puts everything together. So thanks to everybody. Thanks to everybody here who came out to the event. Uh, we're going to do this just like, uh, just like normal. I do have, I do have a guest uh, it's not going to be just me rambling, and although that has been known to happen on some podcasts, uh, but I do have a guest, and um, and we're going to be talking about uh, high-performance computing, HPC, uh, and in particular, maybe how it's starting to to be to be able to be extended out into other parts of the oil and gas value chain where maybe it wasn't so practical before, but now it is. Um, so I do have a guest, but he's not sitting here with me yet because. We have to give him his walk down music. So, ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm OGGM welcome to HPE's very own Scott Duplantis. There we go. We're still walking. We, we didn't really rehearse that, uh, but anyway, that, uh, that's kind of how it works on the show. All right, so, Scott, thanks for. Uh, I know. Um, I mean, I know what it's like to draw the short straw, so <laughs> it's, great, it's great that you that you showed up here and you're doing this. Um, let's start with a little bit of, uh, and you might want to lean in just a little bit more there. Um, I always ask people, tell us about you. Now, I know, uh, I always like to show that I know something about you. So, um, so, you're at, so you're at HPE now, obviously, so you're, you're, you're from the sponsor, and, uh, and you've been there for a little while, but you spent a long time, or a reasonably long time at ConocoPhillips, where you did a lot of really interesting things there, and you've been around uh, the industry for a while. So anyway, what else do you want to tell everybody before we get into it? Yeah, I mean, long time kind of in the oil and gas space, where worked in chemical plants, refineries, offshore when I was young, got out of that, went into technology, and then uh, ended up working for ConocoPhillips for about eight years where I ran their global data center operations teams as well as their high performance computing team. And then, uh, you know, ended up coming to HP where I'm their chief technologist for oil and gas, which really means that I focus on some of their top accounts to help, you know, spread the message of what HPE is capable of 
in the oil and gas industry as it relates to many, many parts yeah, of the right. uh, IT technology industry. Yeah, and, and you guys are doing, um, and I don't just say this because you're a sponsor, but you, yeah, you know, you're doing some great things around the industry in terms of actually providing kind of the enabling, like the stuff under the stuff, right? So all of these fancy things that we want to do with analytics and machine learning and automation, like all that runs on computers, right? It's, and, 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 and those computers have to be uh, maybe a little bit different from, from the way they were 10 years ago or 15 years ago. It's, it's computers, it's networking, it's the ability to move your data around, it's the, you know, the whole, you know, we're working in advanced analytics spaces in natural language processing in low Earth orbit satellites. You know, there's just a ton of things. In oil and gas, we're helping with predictive maintenance and predictive analytics for machine, you know, for all the equipment in the field that they're keeping track of. You know, it, it's, uh, the infrastructure is, it's, it's, it's kind of like HPE is more of a race car company and they're out there trying to win races for their sponsors. Yeah, the car yeah. is important and the car needs to be really good, really fast and really handle, but it's the driver, it's the ecosystem, it's the support system, it's all the people around us that help us execute for our customers. Right, right, good. All right, enough of that. Um, we do want to talk about, so there's this thing that um, some people may be very familiar with this term and some people may not be, and uh, particularly, you know, for, for those, uh, for those following along at home. We do have a fairly uh, diverse audience that listens uh, to the show. I, I mean, diverse in many ways, but diverse in terms of they come from different parts of the industry, different disciplines and things like that. There's this thing called high-performance computing. We abbreviated HPC. So let just uh, like a little bit, like what is that? Like, does that just mean really fast computers or what? what is this whole thing about high HPC? What's it about? <clears throat> high-performance computing spans many industries you know you hear sure. about it in you know threat intelligence security you know NSA you know you see splashes in the news all the time about these high-performance computing scenarios but in oil and gas you know we like to think that we've been doing advanced analytics for 30 40 years because we have right sure we've yeah. been doing seismic interpretation reservoir modeling you know, running algorithms against the data, against the images, against the data that's been brought in through seismic shoots or yeah. know, looking at, you know, running a hundred different simulations of the same data to see if we apply this filter, this filter, this filter, can we find something different to go poke a hole in the ground and do a yeah, better yeah. job of pulling hydrocarbons out of the ground. Yeah, so, I mean, we had big data before anybody was, it, it was just we big did, we, we data. Didn't, we didn't know how to call it sexy stuff to yeah, get the attention yeah, that gets yeah, yeah. now. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay, so um, HPC, you know, coming into play where you have like really huge amounts of data that requires really compute intensive, and, you know, and you don't want to wait like months for it to be done, right? So uh, historically, and I think one of the things that's interesting about what we're going to cover now is historically in oil and gas, um, it was, you know, HPC wasn't really readily available everywhere, right? It was kind of, so talk about like the history a little bit there. So, you know, big oil, oil and gas companies, the large, you know, multinational companies, the exploration and production companies, they would spend millions and millions and millions of dollars in capital to go drill a hole in the ground. Before they drilled that hole, they needed to have high certainty that what they were going to do was going to produce a hydrocarbon you know, product. And in order to do that, they would do seismic shoots, they would interpret right. that data, they do reservoir modeling, and they do all this work. So 
HPC is really predominant in the oil and gas industry because they had a lot of money to spend. In exploration. In exploration. Right, right, exploration right, right. was where they made the money. That's where, that was the, the cash part of the business. You had to spend to get the hydrocarbons to sell it on the market. So, you know, HPC was funded. They could kind of get what they wanted yeah. for a long time yeah. um, until, you know, the economy gets tough or the oil prices get tough. And then you have to really justify this. And, yeah. and, and that's what's happening in the industry right now is where are they today? Where do they think they're going to be in 30 years? Do they have the assets already that they need? So, you know, the, the HPC industry, I think, is going to see change. Yeah, gotcha. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the we always used to kind of joke that all the, um, you know, all, all the, the geoscientists uh, in oil and gas were kind of like, Kind of, kind of like the traders, right? Like in in the finance industry, right? What it, like they're the talents. So whatever it is they need, they get it. And but it was a very expensive proposition uh, at that time. But now what we're seeing is there are other places in the whole value chain that uh, where we can see opportunity for H for HPE and HPC. We see. We see opportunity where we say, hey, there's a whole bunch of data over here, too, and if we could do analytics and we could do AI and we could do all this stuff, we could get, we could get some goodness over there. So where, like, where are you, so you're out there working with the customers, where are you seeing those new use cases pop up? You know, there's a whole bunch of things that are happening where they have a ton of data that they really haven't been doing a lot with. So as you look at a production facility or a plant that's, a natural gas plant that's in the middle of, you know, Colorado, they're, they're monitoring it, they're monitoring the plant, they're doing all these things that they've been doing for years, but it's producing a ton of data. Yeah. And they have failures. They have failures on a regular basis. And the older the plant, the more they're going to run it to fail and they're just going to fix it when it breaks. But the older the plant is, the more expensive that becomes. Finding a replacement of parts gets even more expensive. So what they're doing now is they're running a lot of algorithms and machine learning against this large data sets of all the sensor data that they've got running in the field and have had running and they're consolidating into data lakes where they can take a look at it, analyze it, and try and be more predictive on the failures that are going to happen, which will be cheaper for them to maintain and get repaired at, at, before it fails, as opposed to just waiting for that kind of run-to-fail model that a lot of oil and gas companies do in the brownfield areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you, when you say they're doing it, um, so this is the digital doers show, so... We don't want to. We don't. We're not interested in the not doers. We're interested in the doers. So when you say they're doing it, like, are they really doing that, or are they aspiring to do that? Like, do you see that really happening? It's a It's a combination. There are companies who are doing it and are moving it into production, um, and they're using these high-performance computing constructs that they've had for sizing and reservoir. And they're like, hey, I need 10% of your time, or I need 20% of your time yeah, to yeah. run the analytics that they need to run to be able to do this predictive analytics and to see problems before they happen. Um, you know, I'm not going to call that AI. It's more machine learning and deep learning and understanding the environment that's there so that when they see a pattern happen, they can get somebody out there to repair that before it fails, yeah, which yeah. is going to be cheaper in the long run. And so since they have this seismic and reservoir modeling constructs that they've been running for years, 
they, they have the wherewithal to be able to, to do a lot of very interesting you know, right. machine learning and advanced analytics. And, and you talked earlier too about some other use cases like airflow, cooling, uh, fluid dynamics, things like that. Fluid dynamics is a big one where you've got a lot of fluid coming in from the field. So there's all these production areas and all these pumps all bringing product into centralized areas and it stores in tanks and then it goes into other areas. We're seeing right now what happened in California. Could they have predicted that sooner with better analytics and machine uh, learning yeah, 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 if sure. they were monitoring those pipelines for the moment it starts to lose pressure, the moment it starts to have a flow problem. Right. Maybe they could have found that problem before it happened or as it happened instead of well after it happened. And that's the type of thing that in oil and gas, there's product flowing in from well sites all over the you know Permian, the Bakken, all of these areas. Sure. And you need to be able to know where everything is, when it's coming in, did it? Did the proper amount arrive on time? You know, I'm simplifying this, obviously. Yeah. Um, well, and it, it's not like we haven't been collecting data in all those places for a long time, right? But, but tons of data. But what were we doing with it? Well, it was mostly serving the function of whatever, like serving the purpose of whatever the function was, right? So whatever whatever that function was that that data was collected for, and when, once everything got opened or closed or adjusted or whatever it was, then that we were done with that data. It went into the historian, and, and we didn't use it. So, so the whole idea is now we want to use it for more stuff. Can we go back right? in time and look at this data and see that every time this happened, a failure occurred over the last 10 years, you have all the data, you have all the reports, you have all the incident reports, you know what happened, you have the work orders, right, right, right. you've got all this rich data, can you do something with it? Yeah, so that's the case for for analytics, which has been well established, um, but the computing requirements for this kind of stuff is, uh, like not for the faint of heart, right? It just depends on what it is. There's There are many use cases that you can start out with a fairly small cluster and do a lot of good things yeah. in the field for predictive maintenance or you know fluid dynamic calculations. But for some things you need a lot more compute and it's not just compute. You know, HPC, what is it if you break it down? It's compute, so you've got processors that are gonna process all of the data and do the computation and the simulations. But then you've got storage. You've got high-speed storage, and you've got archive storage. And you yeah, can yeah. move that data around. Here's your data lake, but you can't go look at the data lake because that's not performant enough storage. So you've got to move that, that data set into the high performance. Not every company has the ability to have that large of a construct. Oil and gas companies, most of them, super majors, the E&P companies, they all have it available. So if you have that available, you should be looking at what you can do with that construct for, yeah. for your finances for predictive maintenance for right. all these things. So let's so let's talk about that if you have it I mean so so that's the that's the case for why we need it we can we can bring it well we haven't talked too much about why can we bring it to these other disciplines now and we couldn't before so I want to get into that but um, but br so bringing these computing capabilities to bear in these other scenarios uh, what is what does that take like if I like if, do I need to have already invested in that infrastructure what if I want to do it for the first time like how, how does what's the what is the path look there are, like? there are economical ways to start the process to do high performance computing on you know small clusters that are purpose-built for what you want to do yeah um, and what you want to do is what's most important you know it's not just go buy high-performance computing equipment out of a box you know you, you know some type of a click the button and it shows up in your data center. 
but most people are probably looking at doing it in the cloud first. You know, so they're going to go look at a cloud deployment first, and they're going to try and do it there. They're going to they're going to they're going to work through the process and say, okay, this is going to run, but yeah. if all your data is still on site. Yeah. You're going to have to probably figure it out on site because moving right, right. large data sets up and down from the cloud can become expensive. Right, right. So, so what are the various options? I want to, I, I want to bring, uh, I want to bring high performance computing capabilities to some of these new problems. What are those? So nowadays, uh, what do those solutions look like? What are my, what, what are the various possibilities that I could, that I could do? It's kind of a an open an open store. It just depends on what it is that you're trying to accomplish. This, this is your consulting background coming out. It depends <laughs> is the answer, right? It is. Yeah, it, <laughs> it depends. But if you're a small What's company, different now that, that you couldn't do before? I think what's different now is that the amount of open system, open source technology that's available to anyone out there is very, very robust. We didn't have all of these abilities to aggregate the data, to data like the data, to interrogate the data, you know, build right. the algorithms and you know, we've had folks who were doing seismic interpretation who today would be called data scientists, but it wasn't a focus like it is today. So, you know, probably the biggest challenge you have, the biggest obstacle you have is finding the right people who can take the data sets that you want to analyze yeah, for some yeah. business value, whether that's financial, predictive, retail, you know, there's, there's a lot of different use cases that are being out there right now. So it's, you got to find the right people who can do something. Yeah. But one of the things that I like to say is, it's not about high performance computing, it's not about analytics, it's not about machine learning or AI, it's what business problem are you trying to solve? Sure. Start there assemble the team of business people that need to look at this data and determine what outcome you want to see come out of this. And then the other stuff will just work itself out. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, you know, um, the very first time I ever heard somebody say, let's not do technology for technology's sake, it, it was, I want to say it was the mid 90s. <laughs> and. And we said, oh, and we learned this big lesson back then. We said, oh, we're not going to do technology for technology's sake. Nobody should do that. That's very foolish. And uh, I keep hearing that phrase over and over again for the last, you know, 25 years. Did we years. really learn our we lesson? We did not learn that lesson <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. However, um, well, but let's, uh, okay, so, so we're saying these HPC capabilities are now... They're more economical. They're easier to deploy. They're Pretty much um, available. To I, anyone. I don't think we could quite call them a commodity yet, no. but they can. But they. But they're much more portable than they were, um, you know, even just a few years ago. And they're not just for the, for the for this one sort of elite area anymore. So what what is it? As you're working with people, what do you think the future of this looks like? What um, what what are we going to see changing in the way oil companies? Um, and, and service companies and whoever in the way they operate as, as this becomes more prevalent in, in other areas. The luxury that oil and gas has, and, and oil and gas industry has a lot of high performance computing spread around you know, all of these super majors and certainly the EMP companies. Um, but you know, they are far from the big HPC shops. Those are the NSA and the national laboratories and you know, some of the governments that are trying to run analytics against all their population yeah, 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 and patterns yeah. and all of that. But the beautiful part is, you know, oil and gas companies, for the most part, have this available to them. So the ability to take and put it to new business use cases, to different use cases other than seismic and reservoir and things they've been doing for 20, 30 years, 
is very interesting. It's, and it's going to be very compelling what they can take because they have the construct, use it for these other things. And if you think about the fact that with electrification coming in, you know, with all of the industry, the Paris Accord, the defocus on hydrocarbon, you know, as being not the only thing some of these super majors are caring about. Sure. Then, you know, HPC for seismic and reservoir, you know, will, will not be the high growth industry. What will be the high growth industry is how do we take advantage of this construct to be able to do analytics against our financials, against our retail business, you know, think about ExxonMobil, everyone who walks into one of those quick stops, that's a customer, that's generating revenue. How do yeah, they get yeah. that person personalized? When they go up to the pump, if they see Michael Sullivan, they know he likes premium. They, oh, he's a spender. Yeah. You know, let's get him in the store. That's a different Michael How do we Michael get that Sullivan, guy in the store? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so that's where all this is going to go. Yeah, I got you. Okay, so I promised the people that, that brought you here that we would have a chance to talk about, and I always like to hear about this. So now that we've kind of outlined the landscape and, you know, um, and what is so at HPE? I know you're focused on this. You got a whole section of your website dedicated to it. What are you guys bringing to the party in terms of helping people, uh, you know, with these objectives? It's a combination. You know, not you know. Obviously, we have the underlying infrastructure to be able to do just about anything in the high-performance computing environment. HPE is the industry leader in HPC across the world. I mean, we are the ones, and we're the ones in the space station. You know, yeah, it, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's a focus area for the company. It has been for a very long time. The partnerships that we have with companies like Fujitsu, where we're doing you know, work on the ARM processor, where it's going to be easier to take CPU-intensive workloads and move it to an ARM world, as opposed to trying to refactor for GPU because you need high bandwidth memory. It's easy or hard. Yeah, so that thing that easy. you just said very quickly, for those of you who aren't familiar, is a huge pain in the rear. So It is. It, Oil and gas yeah. companies who, are, who have been... They've written all their software to do seismic and reservoir modeling. Even if they're using other companies, they, most of them have their own proprietary applications that they run to be able to do compressive seismic type work. Right. To take it from CPU-based to GPU-based is man years worth of work. Yeah, because it, it's, it's a easy. whole different paradigm. It's a whole so, different program. So that's right. something that, you know, with our partnership with Fujitsu, we can bring to the table to make that easy for them to get that high bandwidth memory they need that they'll get from GPU, but do it with the CPU-based applications that they already have. So the Fujitsu story, I think, is kind of fun because it's if I understand correctly, they took, what, what's the name of that, that fancy computer that they have in Japan? The Fugaku. Right. It is the fastest Easy for you per to performance say. computer in the world. Yeah. It's a computing system. I mean, fastest it's computing system in the world. And they said, I wonder if we could just put that into a, like a, something small, right, basically. What we did is we took um, one of our platforms, the Apollo 80, based yep. on ARM, and it's for you, you can deploy one or 10 or 100 of them, but um, that processing unit is what makes up that larger construct. You yeah. can start small and not spend a lot of money. You can grow it as you need to, as you productionize your, your AI and ML workloads. See, now we're getting to the thing, right, is, is it used to, like, you, you couldn't do it, like, the idea a few years ago that you were gonna take the capabilities that's in that, right, and then make it portable and deployable and growable and scalable, this is all very new. If I'm, if I'm not, unless it was happening and I wasn't paying attention. I mean, it's been evolving. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. other, the other thing that HPE brings to the table that, that I think is very interesting, and one of the things that you know, why one of the reasons I'm with the company, is, H, HPC shops, in order to do what they do, they figure out how many projects do they have in a given year. Maybe they got 10, 12, maybe it's 100. 
and they go, okay, I need to be able to compute all of this seismic data. I need to do the reservoir modeling to be able to go out and drill a hole in the ground and successfully find oil. Because yeah, every time yeah. I drill a hole in the ground and don't find oil, I've wasted a lot of money. Yeah, a couple bucks. So yeah. A couple, a couple yeah. million bucks. <laughs> yeah. So, but they have to size these things for the peaks of all of the workload that they need. Yeah, so sure. for, for all 20 projects that they're going to run in the year, that system has to be able to do them all in a timely fashion so they can go from starting to fund the project to actually putting the project, you know, and drilling into the yeah, ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which means they have to over-provision for almost everything. Almost, you know, most HPC shops run at about 40 to 50% right. in, a, in a given year. So what does that mean? Are they wasting all this process and just overbuying? No. Every day projects hit 100% multiple times a day. They, they have to have that to get there. But what if they were going to deploy more of a hybrid or private cloud where they were paying for this like you pay for the cloud? So you pay for exactly what you use by the minute. Right, right. You know, as you use it, you would probably save 35 40% in what it takes to support that environment to do all of that work. And it's not about the environment, it's about the work. Yeah, yeah. It's about the results. Right. So if you could do that work, get the results on the same class and type of computation and storage that you already think is the best thing in the world, but you know, and even somebody else could manage it for you. All you do is pay by the month, just like a little yeah, a yeah, bill. Yeah. You would, you would Pretty soon you forget you're spending money. that money. That's right. Well, <laughs> so, I don't know about that. So, if you were right, spending less, what, you would have a, yeah. you'd feel better about it. Well, there has been, as a lot of these new uh, capabilities, computing capabilities and cloud and storage have been evolving, there has, there's more than one company that has walked into a scenario where they thought that they were going to save a lot of money, and it, it was the opposite. Right, like it, there's, there's some learning about what really is cost effective. Because everything that we've been doing up until the last few years, we've been doing for a long time. So we kind of like, even in our head, we kind of know how the math, it's like, you know, it, it's like when you go to the grocery store and you fill up the cart, you kind of know how much it's going to cost, right? Until something happens and now you don't know anymore. And so like, you know, toilet paper or whatever. So um, what, what's up? Uh, <laughs> Just as long as it's not high performance. We also we were talking about the, so so Corey and I we were talking about the price of lumber earlier last year. We couldn't build anything because lumber, you know, because the commodity was through the roof. But um, but but people have walked into this uh, this you know kind of gone down this path and said, uh oh, not only is it like not what we thought, but it's 180 degrees the other direction, more or less, right? In the industry, we're seeing a trend where people are wanting to conserve their cash and go to more of an opex model. The cloud has always been perceived as, okay, I'll just go to the cloud. Yeah. But what a lot of people have learned through trial and error, and I've lived through it myself, the cloud can become expensive if you don't have the right drivers yeah. that you need to, the problems that you need to solve. Sure. Maybe you're in New York City, you're in an expensive data center, power is expensive, and going to the cloud might make perfect sense. Maybe you're not a very efficient shop. Maybe yeah, you're running yeah. in 20% efficiency. And moving to the cloud, you would maybe save money. Right, right. But if you're good at what you do, and HPC shops are usually really good at sure, what they do, sure. you've got two big problems. One, that's very special data. You don't want anybody else to get a hold of that data. Yeah. Number two, it's big data. It's a lot of data. Yeah. You know, it's when they say big data, they talk about a lot of unstructured data all grouped together. This is actually large files, you know, gigabyte yeah, right, type right, files. Right. Sure. And you can't move that up to the cloud, do analysis, and then move it back down to prem on some archive storage. You'd have to move it all to the cloud. Right. 
and then you're going to pay a premium. Yeah, it's going to cost. Yeah, it's going to be. And yeah, so it's, gonna, yeah. it, it's a hybrid world that we all live in today, and that's the way that the industry is going to move forward. There, there was a perception for a while that everything's going to the cloud, but once everybody figured out that, well, that doesn't make sense. Seventy percent of the applications that I run in my data center today are legacy. They're older. They're right. custom. We wrote them. We can't just move them to the Lift cloud. Lift and shift only. Yeah. Lift and shift. It's just a it geographical doesn't change. Doesn't make any sense right. for us. Yeah. So how do we? How do we build that ecosystem that is truly hybrid, where right. we have on-prem that we can pay for by the drip, the edge where all of the data is coming from that right. we can pay for by the drip, yep. and the cloud where we're doing our development and our the new stuff that we're doing in the you know the, the new applications we're bringing to the company in the cloud. Yeah, so it's a learning process, and this is why we now have this word that I think didn't used to exist before, at least not in this context, repatriation, right? Because uh, uh, we got to figure out what makes sense to go where. Now, before I get in trouble, I do want you to talk about, what about this green light thing that you guys are doing? How does that fit into all this? So the scenario I was talking about earlier, where if you could take what you do on-prem today mm -hmm. and convert it to more of a private cloud, our GreenLake offering is basically everything as a service, but in your data center. So with your security, your badging, the people that you know and trust, your data has no IP issues, there's no uh, sovereignty issues that you have to deal with, and you don't have to worry about that data gravity problem where all of your applications are still in your, your data center, yeah, and you don't yeah. want that traffic going to and from the cloud. We can take and give you a cloud-like service where we can manage it, we can secure it. We have all the automation built in. It's basically plug and play for, I know it sounds simplified, but it really kind of is, to where you can get that same thing you wanted from the cloud that you, you thought the cloud would give you, which is pay for service. So I'm going to pay for CPU memory and storage yeah, as yeah. I run it you know, by the month, and I'm only going to use what I need. Well, you'll get that exact same thing on-prem, but you won't have to pay that premium that the cloud yeah, and it also uh, helps. You're with getting all these, more on-premise value proposition. And you have, and it and it helps with all these like like in-country rules and data sovereignty rules and, and other things that regulatory for regulatory reasons you just can't have leave. So so what you're saying is uh, all that fancy stuff that we've been talking about. You you like you worked it out. So there's a there's a there's it's, a way it, to do it. And it's full suite. You know, HP has through acquisition and through innovation, they have taken to where they have the ability to, you know privatize and create this hybrid private network that has the compute, the storage, the backup, the disaster recovery, the networking, the networking management, yep, yep, the, yep. the endpoint, the the branch office, the rigs, you know, all of those things can all be consumed as a service. Excellent. So the little clock on my trusty iPad Pro is telling me that we're kind of at the we're actually a minute over, but I think it's okay. Um, so how do, I always ask, how do people learn more? Um, not just, I mean, I, well, I know there's a, you got a lot of stuff on your website, but if I want to learn more about, not just about what you're doing, but if I want to learn more about this whole discipline and where it's going and everything, where there, do I look? There's some great blogs out there and there's some great podcasts out there yeah. from, you know, uh, there's, you got supercomputing, that's a, a big industry event that happens every year. We got the thing at Rice, right? They've got yeah. the Rice University happens once a year where, and that's a great one for young professionals where they're wanting to learn about this space that they, they might be interested in. You can go to Rice, I think there's a small fee and you know they do talks about 
um, you'll see folks from Intel and from ARM and from AMD sure. and you know, all these uh, uh, core processor companies and you'll see storage companies and there are sponsors and vendors there that are talking about their technology but really they're talking about what business problems they're solving sure. with yeah. high performance computing and that's an interesting one right here in Houston um, there's there's another one coming up here toward the middle of the month um, it's another supercomputing. Yeah, that's right. Event. I saw that. So we will put all of that in the show notes for those of you following along at home. Those of you who are uh, sitting here in the room, uh, you're just going to have to go listen to the podcast and, and, and look at the show notes. But um, I, that, so, so usually this is where I'd be wrapping up with some clever wrap up. But instead, we're going to take questions if there are any. So, um, so questions. Mark? Mark LaCour has a question. So, the nice thing, in the industry, we have always taken advantage of this concept called Moore's Law. And Moore's Law basically said that, you know, if I'm buying, you know, a terabyte of storage today, I'm going to be able to buy 10 times that amount for the same price next year and the year after. As, as the generations of chips and storage and technology advance, you could follow that trend. And Moore's Law is not broken, but we're reaching limits to where it's not quite possible. So every year you've always been able to buy more with your dollar. So if your budget was $10, you could get more for that $10 every successive 18 months because of this Moore's Law concept. But Moore's Law is kind of flattening out a little bit and so now you have to be smarter and think about other technologies. That's where it's getting interesting. The uh, A64FX from Fujitsu is one of those concepts. GPU from NVIDIA, that's another one of these concepts. These are areas where if you don't have legacy code to refactor, GPU may be the area because you need that high bandwidth memory. You need memory more than anything to do the computations that you're going to do. CPU isn't as key. It's really the memory. So you, Or you need graphical interpretation. You need to be able to analyze every single human being walking and talking through an airport. You know That's a graphical thing. Those are cameras all giving you data. So that one person who does something weird, you want to be able to flag on that, right? So it's new technology that's enabling people. New technology isn't always cheaper, but you know the, uh, the ARM processor example is a good one because you can do more computational work with it because of this very high bandwidth memory construct with less equipment and less power and cooling. And those are things that are important to oil and gas companies because they're all trying to lower their, their, their lifting costs. Sure, yeah, sure, sure. Any, any uh, other questions? Yes, sir. Yeah, so just from a practical standpoint, talk about business problems being solved. So today, what are the top business problems that businesses are using high-performance computing to solve? It's different across industries, but if I focus on, on oil and gas... This is, a, this is oil and gas this thing, right? Oil and gas dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I focus on oil and gas, obviously seismic interpretation, reservoir modeling are still the primary use cases for the high-performance computing environments. But we're seeing more and more on predictive maintenance, analytics to look at your environments that exist today and can we find problems before they happen as opposed to wait till they break. Uh, things like blowout preventers on, on uh, production platforms out in the Gulf. Yeah. It's expensive to go fix those things. If you can look at all of the data coming in, all of the fluid dynamics, all of the temperature, all of the vibration, all of this data coming in, and recognize a pattern because of the algorithms that you're applying to it, you may stop 
one of those ball preventers from failing and you know, lack of production, lack of revenue. So those are some, some examples that I can think of off the top of my head. You good? What else? Anyone? Anyone? Nobody. Oh, there we go. Wild question. Wild question. So what are you guys doing around the industry 5.0? There's a 5 now? I haven't even figured out what 4 is yet. Industry what? Industry 5.0. 5.0. Man, I think no. I, my brain's still a little on 4.0. Not Hawaii 5.0. It's just industry 5.0. HPE itself has a lot of uh, professionals you know, in our consulting organizations who work with manufacturing plants. And they work with those manufacturing plants on how to look at what they're doing, the workflow of everything that they're doing. And analytics is a big part of that right now to be able to find problems in assembly lines before they happen. But number two, how do you secure those environments so somebody can't come in and take over that environment? So we have the technology for zero trust capability to be able to secure those environments, manage those environments as a single entity. Um, because everything, everything in one of these plants or assembly lines or manufacturing facilities has an IP address and it's on the Wi-Fi network or it's on the wired network and it's all visible to some part of the network. So making sure that no one can take over any part of that plant, you know, Colonial Pipeline didn't say that, but that's kind of what that is. You know, you have to, you have to secure that and make sure it's not vulnerable to outside influence. So, you know, we're, we have a whole part of our business where people are focused on the industry 4.0 and where that goes. And 5.0. All the all the all the five, all the go, industries. I'm going to be googling that on the all way the home. industries. Five five. We're we we're even working on six back here in the back. So OGGN's doing uh, OGGN. We got six is coming. <laughs> so uh, what? Any anything else? That that's 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 good. Any, anyone anyone? Th this is probably the part where. Uh, so we're going to probably just uh, trail off the podcast. Come back next week for yet another exhilarating expedition into the very real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com. Oh,